Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children and dozens of all ages. Welcome to another edition of One Day Closer to Dead. I am Dave Beaudry. And I am Jason Bailey. And Jason, my understanding is that this week you wanted to do a sequel to the love episode. Nope. Nah, this this is more the what? hate episode. No, I it's definitely Did not. Did I misread the memo? Yes, that's definitely not right, Dave. You got it all. I could have sworn. Up. I could have sworn right before we went on the air that you, you said this was gonna be about you know, love and passion and joy and and well, all the here's the deal. If we start talking about myself, that's definitely all going to come. Absolutely. Touche, touche. So how you doing, Jason? What's happening? I'm doing very well, my friend. I just wanted to get into a little bit of feedback at the top of the program and uh, let you guys know we really appreciate all of you listening to us. Our last episode, uh, The Cult of Personality, it is our second most listened to episode of all time, and that only took one week to do. So uh, thank you very much. That was absolutely fantastic. Went a little viral there. Uh, we probably ranked about 650 uh, nationwide, I believe, in podcasts. So we, we did very, very well on that episode, Dave. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, there was a lot of great feedback. People basically saying they wanted to get more involved in in, in getting awareness of of the message, this uh, this uh, cult that's um, per, you know perpetuated and and under the guise of of you know religion and love. It is a love episode, and uh, <laughs> but uh, they really got involved, and uh, yeah, we we really knocked out of the ballpark with actual awareness going out there. John Collins actually contacted us, said thank you very much. Uh, I also want to tell the listeners out there, the dozens, that um, he does have a new book out. It is called Preacher Behind the White Hoods by John Collins. Preacher Behind the White Hoods, and that's on Amazon being being distributed right now if you'd like to check that out. It talks a lot more in-depthly about everything we went over in the last episode. But uh, yeah, a lot of the people that had been saved by John and have been helped by John out of that uh, terrible, terrible uh, situation, that brainwashing lifestyle, uh, listened to One Day Closer to Dead for the first time. Uh, some of their feedback was uh, very interesting. They had never heard one of our episodes. And uh, one of the, the wonderful comments were that uh, it was a great tribute to John and uh, they were fist pumping through the whole thing and they got a great smile. But one of the comments that really uh, made me smile was we are worth listening to for our um, witty banter and offbeat humor. So, oh, wow. We, yeah, we didn't even really have all that much witty banter last week. No, and, and I mean, and, and uh, odd, no, odd humor. It was odd humor. So, I'll take uh, it. Yeah, I'll take it too. And I hope that some of you stick around for other things that we do too, uh, not just covering this, this terrible cult. But thank you so much. It's hard to believe that that episode has now become the second most listened to thing we've ever done uh in our coming up our well, it's about a year and a half we're about a year and a half old i guess and um that's pretty fucking is, amazing so i i know you've said it before but is is number one still something in the water or yeah, is it, it is. the death number, episode number one is our debut episode and it's for okay. t- it's for two reasons it's because if someone latches onto us they want to hear the beginning and i think a lot of a lot of people also want to know what kind of podcast we are and a lot of it comes down to politics they want to know if we're conservative or liberal and pretty much after that first episode you you kind of know 
where we sit on the political fence and then the other half just drop away. But we're it's still our number one list to just because it's our inaugural debut situation. But this one really, really did good. And I think all of you, I want to thank uh, some international communities out there for listening to us quite a bit lately. Uh, Edmonton, Canada. Thank you very much. Uh, last episode, you lit up hard for us, and we have many, many of the dozens now listening to us in Edmonton, Canada. Paris, France, great city for us, always uh, lit up last week. And uh, Oslo, Norway. Thank you very much for listening. Our international dozens out there, we certainly do appreciate each and every one of you. But uh, fantastic feedback, and a lot of you out there, uh, there was some comments or that literally said, uh, the story like this warms my heart, makes me want to get involved in being a better person. Someone said it makes me want to be a better man. Uh, it just was an inspiring story for people out there who didn't even know John. And it was just a, uh, a fantastic group of feedback because usually you know, our dumpster fire segments, they're just like, this fucking sucks. Ah! Email us and we move on. This one actually, had, you know, someone was getting involved and getting some shit done. So uh, thank you once again, dozens, for all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what is the what is the agenda? Or how are we starting off things this week, Mister Bailey? Because you had some things you wanted to get off your chest, and the reason for that is because the world is a dumpster fire. And Jason, did you know that? I certainly did, my friend. And did you know why? It truly fucking is. Indeed. So what's going on? What's happening? Well, the thing is, we were going to talk about something we've tried to get to for like, I don't know, two or three weeks. And it just seems to, it just keeps getting tabled <laughs> because something comes up, something pops up. And um, this week, uh, this this last week, uh, a few days ago, something um, happened in my place of employment that I thought, warranted us talking about and the reason that's out in the dumpster fire segment is be i think is because of the way i feel about it and it's going to become more clear as i talk about this but uh, hopefully this will be interesting to the dozens and if not i don't fucking care it's interesting to me um for for clarity also just so the dozens are clear i'm actually not entirely sure about where this is going yet like mm -hmm. i know there is a general situation i don't know anything any specifics or details beyond that and that's by design because we like having yeah. these conversations on air so yeah. that's that's where we're at so go ahead well the thing is that um a few days ago i'm uh I manage a restaurant. I run a restaurant here in Lexington and we still have our wonderful masking up laws and ordinances and, and all of that good stuff. Like many of you do around the country, probably around the planet. And, um, a man came in and decided, you know, he did not want to wear a mask. He did not have a mask. Let's, let's go back. He did not have a mask and we provide masks for all of our our customers, all of our guests that come in, if you don't have one, it's okay. We will provide you one, as many establishments do everywhere, too. Uh, gentleman seemed highly confused as to why he needed to wear it, and then became highly agitated and aggressive towards, towards my staff. Uh, wonderful young lady that's, that runs the host stand and uh, my hospitality greeting uh, was pretty much starting to be confronted by this this uh individual and that's i saw it across the room 
I decided to step in and, you know, just say, hey, what's going on, brother, blah, 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 because as my role in that, I have to be like, you know, uh, big daddy all the time. If something really bad goes down uh, or if something is starting to heat up in an aggressive tendency, my first and foremost priority is the safety of my staff. That is everything else is I'm selling pizza for money. Okay. That, that I mean, you know, just that's what I got going on here. It's burgers and fries folks. Um, Mr. Bailey is a pizza prostitute. That's, I'm a personality prostitute. I've said it for years. Uh, but anyway, I was trying to calm the gentleman down. A uh, very, very large man. Um, he was, he was wearing kind of soldiery stuff. He had uh, combat boots on that would be indicative of like, um, the middle East, uh, you know, campaigns, Things of this nature, uh, I could tell that he was slightly altered, and it seemed like it was from alcohol. He definitely drank his guts somewhere, and um, my instincts just kicked in to to basically escort him out the building in a a nice way. Um, sure. I used to be a bouncer for you know a, a a select amount of of time before I came out to L.A. Uh, just to make enough money to get out to L.A. I was. DJing slash bouncing for a while. And I was in one nightclub where, you know, people just went there to fight. They, they weren't there to pick up women. They were already drunk when they walked in. It was just like the closest thing to Roadhouse in Tennessee you could get to. So my instincts was just to be nice. Just be nice and get the gentleman the hell out the building. I, I've got an interesting theory slash solution to those types of things, which we'll talk about momentarily, but continue yeah. first. <clears throat> the guy it was, you know, he was larger than me. He was younger than me. He's probably about his mid-30s, about 6'3", 6'4". Um, and I finally, you know, it was he understood that, you know, let's get you out here and I'll call you a cab. I'll get you something going on here. But I could tell he was highly agitated. Got him outside the building. And there was some shenanigans outside the building then where he started confronting my guests coming in and out. At this point, we knew there was a problem and the police had already been contacted to at least make a welfare, you know, kind of make yeah. their presence known type situation. Um, but then um, he tried to get back in and I wasn't going to let him back in the building. So I was like, hey, man, you're not coming back in, blah, blah, blah. Um, we have a revolving circular door, like those things you see in New York oh, City. Oh, no. Right, yeah. <laughs> so he starts to come in, and now he's highly, I mean, he's pissed at me, like, like a bull and I'm the red flag, because I've, I've said, you are definitely not coming back in this place. Well, you do have that effect on people. I do, I, I mean, but this is me being nice. I, I know. Even, I haven't even turned into Jason yet. So he's coming back in the building now it, through, the, through the revolving door. I can see this, and he's... It's hard to say because I don't want to. I don't want to give too much away in a legal sense, but he's uh, unzipping his pants and threatening <laughs> to perform an act of biology all over my floor. And I got a restaurant full of people, and uh, and kids are around, and women are you know shrieking, and it's just like it's ridiculous. And at this point, it's interesting that my brain is starting to ramp up and do a wheel. Now we're at a we're at a whole nother level now. So like I said, it's just instincts kick the fuck in. Uh, and you hear this all the time from a lot of people involved in fighting or policing or military or emergency response where they say, you don't know how you're going to act until you're in that situation. Well, I kind of know how I'm going to act because I've been in these kind of situations before. So maybe it's just not a surprise to me. 
but I threw him back into the revolving door. <laughs> and I was on another side for- and pushing him put literally push my weight against the next little sliced cubicle of the revolving door to kind of hamster wheel him completely out of the fucking building for, for clarity, just so I'm picturing this properly. So he, he was on the outside had, had pretty much come through the revolving door on the, to in. the inside. Yeah, he got back and in. And then, okay, so then you pushed him back out through that yeah. and kind of got the door going the other direction. Yeah, but when he, yeah, when he was reaching down for his uh, <clears throat> stuff down there, I, I got him back into said uh, compartment and started pushing the other way. And um, when we were outside, now he's now he's been actually put about and to to go away i'm physically now getting him out of the building this is different than the first time where it was a gentle request and shown to the bench um when so while i'm pushing out i can feel the door is giving away like i'm put he's so big that and i'm so obviously adrenaline up that i'm pushing the door to the point things are happening to the door but i'm so in them i don't really care i'm just like this man is getting out of this building this sure this, is he this human's is, leaving yeah is he heavily is he, when you say he's big i know you said he was like six three is he like overweight no, big, no. or is he like bodybuilder no, big he's, or? he's like soldier six three six four two fifty you know big like okay like a soldier like not fat no he was okay he was he, was, he had the muscle so I'm pushing him out, and by the time we get out, he's now turned completely around to me, and he's got his his hands all like I can feel his hands all over me, getting ready to start, you know, going. He's striking. I mean, you know, your mind just goes, well, here, here we are. It's 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 go time. And I basically did, you know, I'm gonna, I'm not, I don't want to get into specifics really, but I just want to get this to the the listener or you that did a, right. a wrist lock where I went underneath his arms was behind him very, very quickly. And then all y'all out there who love MMA might call this the rear naked chokehold, but I still call it the fucking sleeper. And I, uh, I applied it pretty good. And then he was coming with me and that was it. I had to bring him. I knew the police were already on their way, but um, they weren't there fast enough this man, had I let go of him, would have started striking me, other guests, you know, urinating on the floor. I mean, whatever it was that he was doing, but he was out of fucking control. So you got to be careful about being bitten in that situation. Absolutely, well. and his his every time his nails and claw, he was trying to get behind me, but I've done it so many times in training and in fight, real fighting that I knew that how the stance should be to where he couldn't get to me. I, he was off balance. Matter of fact, I think that maneuver works better if that your opponent is taller than you. So, um, it was fantastic actually, but are you got, still standing at this point? I was, you go sta- to the ground? I was, no, I don't like to go to the ground. I mean, if you know me that uh, that's, I like to stay standing. So I, uh, pulled him back to a park bench that we have in front, sat him down while I was standing behind him with the sleeper. So I so mean, the bench is almost between the, the two bench of you is now way? the bench is between us. He's sitting okay. and I'm just I right. just look like I'm comforting a friend at that point. And I was just like, <laughs> I was still in bouncer mode, like calm down, like, see, this is nice. Let's just have a seat. Oh, the sun feels good. How are you feeling, buddy? You OK? <laughs> so I'm like still trying to like, you know, psychologically calm this man who wants to kill me fucking down and every time that he tense up i just you know cinch it a little cinch bit it a little bit to let him know like son this ain't you're just simply not going anywhere you know and about um 
probably, <laughs> I was probably there for, oh, I'd say almost two minutes before the cops finally got there. And they came out, you know, there's a, 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 a man and a woman, a male and female cop. They, they rolled out and they knew that they could tell the situation right away, what was fucking happening. And they, uh, I released it. They even had a hard time, the two of them, and finally got him handcuffed up and, and, and arrested him for, you know, all sorts of things. But basically, you know, it was just, um, it, it was it was crazy. And and the thing is that um, I don't want to villainize this this person that I had to get out of my building in a, in a forceful manner. Uh, I will. Fuck him. Well, I mean, see, there you go. I mean, it's one of those things <laughs> where I don't know how far. That's why I'm here, Jason. There you are. But there's a few things I'd like to talk about regarding this situation. And I had told Dave already, listen, Dave's a fighter. I'm a fighter. We've trained to fight. We've sparred with other fighters in multiple different things. Uh, a lot of just straight up street fighting for me. Uh, anti-bullying stuff that Dave and I have shared in the past. Roddy being our, our fucking superhero for this stuff. So... I don't know where Dave wants to go with this conversation. What I would prefer not to do is devolve into a greatest hits of when I kick people's asses. That's not really what I'm talking about here. What surprised me about this whole incident, uh, Dave, was the next day, how many of my staff, how many of my male cohorts who were younger than me, some are bigger than me. Some are smaller than me. You know, all this shit. How many of them said, I would not have been able to do what you did? How did you do that? I don't know how I would have done that. I saw you do it, and I didn't even understand how you controlled him. That was amazing. I could not do that. And there, it just kept popping up again. Like, at first there was some joking, but then there was some just... And I hate... I don't... Also, I don't want to turn this into a solely male uh conversation but on jason's end it might very well be because i don't include females in what i'm getting ready to say um i specifically when the situation went down as it has uh, in a few times in my life uh where someone is becoming physically aggressive slash violent uh and and is a real threat um there are women and children around because I've worked in the public so long. I don't expect a woman, I don't expect a child to to pull out nunchucks or be able to do some action adventure movie thing, okay? Some Ronda Rousey situation. But there's something in me, forgive me, that expects men to fucking stand up. And I don't know where it comes from, probably my Midwestern primitive barbaric upbringing but all these guys like i know for a fact i wouldn't have responded that way and in my head i was thinking i agree i if i wasn't there who the fuck would have taken care of this now i'm serious i cannot think of anyone in my employ or any of the male guests that were watching this i had a restaurant full of people that would have even lifted a fucking finger they might have lifted their cell phones to film it, but no one to actually help out my female staff that was being confronted in an aggressive way. Nobody that was going to stop a man from urinating on, my, on the floor of, my, of the inside of the restaurant, pulling out his genitalia where women and children are everywhere. No one. And it's the same reaction I had years ago, and I've said it before, I'm not getting off on this, but I've had to perform the Heimlich maneuver several times, both as a guest 
and as a restaurant manager in room fulls of people that never even fucking stood up watching people choke to death. Well, I'll tell you, uh, sorry, just for, did you hear about this uh, situation? It was several weeks ago. It got a lot of press at the time, and then I haven't really heard much follow-up. Uh, since then, there's an elderly Asian lady, I believe in New York, who was assaulted. And uh, like, I think it was I figure if it was outside like an apartment or a hotel or it might have even been a bank. But I thought it was an apartment or a hotel. But there was a security guard there who flat out like didn't even open the goddamn door, like just closed the door and like locked it and left her laying there and the whole thing. And it's I mean, that's kind of the, you know. It's an extreme example, but it's a recent example of, of that kind of general phenomenon where people just don't want to get involved. Absolutely. I, and I had seen that video. It, it fucking disgusts me. It fucking disgusted me. I think it was in a bank, actually. Um, but the thing is, Dave, that what's surprising to me is the fact of when I was growing up, I always heard about this response. I think I first he- heard about it in health class of the fight or flight response. And the fight or flight response is something in our reptilian parts of our fucking brain that when shit's going down, uh, life-threatening, big-time, mamma-jamma shit is going on, um, the, the human being or the, the primitive reptile part in our brains chooses to fight back against something, basically respond or to flight, or to flee, to get the fuck away, but is our survival mechanism in our head. Most animals have it in some way, shape, or form. I would kindly like to submit apparently what's going on in the human psyche number three. There's fight, flight, or fuck it, where you don't do anything. I have now been in roomfuls of people where fights have broken out, people are choking to death, and nobody does anything i was in a bank one time where a pregnant woman was standing in line i was sitting down with the bank teller the pregnant woman was sitting to go to go talk to an actual teller behind the booth collapsed fainted smashed her head against the fucking floor you could hear it it sounded like someone had dropped a fucking uh bowling ball on marble and nobody did any i was already running across the fucking room nobody had done anything the managers didn't even go over to her nothing nothing and i'm just like what the fuck is going on here where big time stuff is going on and nobody responds when i was going when i was toe-to-toe with this with this guy uh all i were all i remember thinking in retrospect is how un there was no intimidation i wasn't scared and it was a cataloging almost in slow motion of defcoms where this is escalating mm-hmm. he's touching me this is escalating and it was going it's in slow motion in my head but there was there was it's not and this is by the way once again <laughs> this is not a self dick sucking session believe me jason doesn't enough this i don't need this one but at the time i was just thinking like what is going on where i can react this way when things are really really off the fucking chain and things are getting bad and nobody else seems to be able to do this there's not a fight or flight it's just a I guess if you're a deer in the headlights as a human being now, you just choose option car hits me. I don't fucking know. But it is very, very strange how many males came up to me going, dude, that was amazing how you responded. It was like superhuman. And all I'm thinking is, folks, 
violence is going to be visited upon you statistically sometime in your life. It will be, okay? And if it's not visited upon you, it's visited upon somebody that you need to stand up for. You need to protect. You need to take care of business. Once again, not to be all chauvinistic about it, but I'm talking to you men out there, okay? I really am talking to you men. I know that everyone, when they hear self-defense, they think, well, I can't take care of myself, so I'm just going to get a gun, or I'm going to get mace, or I'm going to get pepper spray. Bitches, a gun is a permanent solution to something that can be taken care of if you physically know how to handle yourself. And it has to come down to the willingness to understand you are going to get hurt. You have to accept the fact that I have to control the situation and there's a probability I will get fucking hurt. Walking away from that, yes, it was very nice to know at the age of 45, I could still physically take care of myself or handle a physically violent human being in the capacity that I did. However, there was no backup, no help, nobody, nothing. And it's happened in not just fights, but in places where you're like, Jesus Christ, could someone at least get up and fucking, you know, console the person that's choking to death until someone gets there to do the Heimlich? Nothing. So the weird thing is, is uh, not the dumpster fire part is really not the fucked up man that I subdued. I know that sounds weird. The fucked up part is, what is going, where are the men out there? What the fuck is going on? I really don't understand. I'm not asking everyone to train up to be Bruce Lee or some shit. There's no fucking way I'm asking that. But at least know how to, first of all, learn some, I think it's a, a skill you need to learn is some fighting skill something a male should just be given wall clippers at a certain age and martial arts classes or training that's just the way it fucking goes in jason's world and know that in your life you are going to have to stand up for women you are going to have to stand up for children and it's got to be more than a hashtag on your twitter you're physically going to have to put yourself in harm's fucking way and i don't know that my rant is what the hell's going on with the fight or flight fucking thing anymore where why is no one reacting this way it's a third option that you're forgetting about nowadays it is actually there there's there's three things going on okay there's fight there's flight and there's fear of getting sued and option three unfortunately seems to be the dominant mindset for a large portion of today's society uh, at least in the united states i obviously can't speak about other other countries um the hold that uh you described jason i also know not only as a sleeper but also as the mata leon is a uh the brazilian jiu-jitsu term for it i believe that translates to lion's tail but i don't want to say that definitively and be wrong so uh uh so that's that's part of it is people have such a dominant sense of self-preservation and then also a it, I mean, really, I do think a lot of a lot of times it comes down to fear of lawsuits on both a corporate and a I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying that is sometimes the dominant. Uh, now, I don't think that should take priority over, you know, leaving an, an elderly lady to get beaten up in the street like that's absurd. You know what I mean? And nowadays, on top of that, nowadays, I think there's a greater fear of getting shot just randomly and, you know, wherever you are in the country. Uh, which I think is more of a distinctly American issue at this moment in time. 
Um, you know, I always think back, there's, there's a line that, that Roddy had, uh, you'll probably know exactly when and where he said this and it makes no sense when you think about it, but it still really resonated to me where in an interview, he was kind of laughing. He's like, you know, I've, I've been in more street fights than most people have had cats. And, um, it was, uh, before the, the gold dust backlot brawl at WrestleMania 12 on their little, the pre-show thing. And again, it makes no sense if you really think about it, but still it made sense to me. And I, I, I never forgot that, uh, that kind of line. And, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention. When you have bought the t-shirt, seen the movie and read the book, then you already kind of know how this next story is going to play out at least, to a better degree than someone who necessarily hasn't. Like you'd said, you know, people don't necessarily know how they are going to respond until they are in a certain situation. If you've been in a certain situation long enough or enough times, then you have a reasonable expectation for how you will respond. You don't know what the end result is going to be. Um, And ironically, you know, I do think that a lot of dudes sometimes have the opposite thing. They kind of expect that they have some sort of innate natural ability to fight when they've had absolutely no experience in doing so. And then when all of a sudden shit hits the fan, they don't know what the fuck is happening. And, you know, it's, it's real easy to, to feel all, you know, good about yourself and you're leaving a movie when you've seen Stallone or Schwarzenegger throw people around for a couple hours. But uh, I, I've seen a lot of people with absolutely no formal training of any kind drastically overestimate their own ability. Um, now, fortunately, those people frequently are aggressors in situations where they they kind of have to have a come-to-Jesus moment. But um, uh, th- that that's a couple of the psychological mechanisms that I would say is going on there. <clears throat> yeah, I it is very, very strange in, in the fact that, you know, the, the guy that I had to subdue, he was yelling at me, he was uh, special forces, he had served, blah, 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 while I was, you know, getting them under control. And God, I, people love barking about all the and, shit that they know. Well, the thing do. is, I even was, when I, when I had him on the park bench, I was saying, that, thank you for your service. I mean, I was thanking him for his service. I am thankful for the motherfucker's service. You're not coming in and pissing all over my restaurant. But the thing is that uh, it was just one of those things where, I don't care what training you've had. Do I believe that people should be trained? Yes, I do. I really think that you need trained in something. Women, children, beast, men, boys, everybody, okay? However, it does come down to the fighter. It comes down to the person. And not just in the fight, but I'm talking in an emergency situation where you think you're a badass, great. Then a moment pops up where everyone can, you've got a license to go be a badass. And by badass, I ain't talking about whooping somebody up. I'm talking about helping out. I'm talking about making a united front. Everyone stand up and and say, we're not putting up with this shit in front of our children and our women. We're not going to do it. Nobody. Nothing. And I've seen it again and again and again. And today was, you know, not today, but a couple days was just another example thereof. And to me, I just want to tell all you guys out there, like, uh, uh, you know, I'm anti-gun. I don't know if you guys know that. I think I've said it before. I'm anti-gun. You have. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pro-broadsword. Um, but the, the thing is that I really, there are, there are things that are going to happen in life. I almost think even more now than, than before where you should know how to conduct yourself physically and, and, and know the, the fear. You got to take the fear 
uh, safety off. Like when you talk about the lawsuits and stuff, could there be lawsuits? Yes, absolutely. There could, could this man also hurt my, my, my staff? Yes. Should be the bigger priority. That's, that's definitely the bigger priority to me. I agree. Are there children in the restaurant? Yes, there are. It, this motherfucker got to go period. It will, we'll deal with lawsuits later. Right now, this is the fucking problem. You are a disease, you're a fucking problem, and you need to be taken out. And I'm not talking about killing you, motherfucker. I'm talking about we take it in increments. You're being physically aggressive. I will be physically aggressive, okay? Yes, uh, that I'm designed maybe a bit different. I don't know. But I can tell you this for a fact is Sometimes you don't have to have a fifth degree black belt to be a badass. Sometimes you just have to be a good man and, and say, I don't care what pops up. I'm going to stand up and say, hey, get the fuck out of here. Just you saying that helps the situation. But and there's also, it's, it's weird. It's very strange to me. Well, there's also a, a bit of an irony there as well, because, okay, so... You said it took, from your you know best estimate, about maybe two, two and a half minutes for yeah. from the time he was put on the bench to the time the police arrived, correct? About that, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, for the okay. first call, it was minutes and minutes and minutes. <laughs> right, yes, yeah. but uh, I, there's a specific point I'm making here. Yeah. So, um, you know, so you have somebody in a, what is essentially a blood choke. Now, for people that don't know, if you have a choke like that fully cinched up for more than, say, five or six seconds, not only is that person completely out, you then start running the risk of right. uh, brain damage. Yep. Uh, that is what we have seen with instances like you know, a few days ago, we had the, the verdict in the George Floyd case where he had his knee on the back of the dude's neck for almost nine minutes and he was found guilty on all three, three counts. And so... You know, clearly you were restraining this person for two minutes and so, and you even mentioned how you were, you know, loosening up on it and then tighten, you know, as needed. How is it that a, you know, no offense to you, Jason, I don't mean this in any way, a derogatory term, but a restaurant manager is, is aware of the biomechanics and the responsibility involved in that moment. Whereas the people that are supposed to be fully trained in these situations and calm in these situations and well aware of how these mechanisms work and how the body works and what the legal responsibilities are. How is it that they are losing their shit and keeping people cinched up for minutes at a time to where they are dying and then trying to just say, well, I feared for my life. No, it's... Fuck it's, you. Yeah, it's that's a piece of shit thing. The, the deal is that... Uh, this gentleman, I, if, as long as he was sitting and calm, no problem. Then there's no, no problem. problem. And I was just talking to him nice. That's just a shitty human being. And if police officers want to use that as an excuse, I'm sorry. Fuck you. And by the way, here's another thing. Once a human being is handcuffed behind and their, their hands are behind them, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> there's... That it's been subdued. It's done. It's, it's been done. Subdu it's done. You can take handcuffs and twist them as needed to exert pain on the wrist. That's not going to kill a motherfucking person at all. And you got them under control. They're sitting Indian style. You got it. So the, that whole, the, the, all that excuse, fuck you. If you're a police official and you're using that excuse, fuck you. Listen, 
This motherfucker, I don't know, he might have been special forces and whipped my ass under regular circumstances. Just so happened he didn't know the little restaurant manager was going to, you know, take things in his own hands because he's done it before. And that's what I mean. You got to have the surprise. But when you've got a person cinched up in any way, in any way, your their life is now in your hands. And if you know yeah. what you're doing, you can exact anything that you want on said motherfucker. I am not a striker at all. I'm a grappler. I'm, I'm a shooter. I, I'm a hooker. I literally, if I can probably fight somebody. <laughs> For people who don't know what that term of hooker means, that, <laughs> that could be derived a couple different ways. Well, the thing is, is, if I could be blindfolded completely, I believe this. And if your body is within my arms, I can start to manipulate you without even seeing what you're doing and, and take you what I call to the pretzel factory. I will well, that's tie basics you up. of jujitsu. I will tie you up. And the thing is that at once you tie somebody up, they're they're in your hands. They're you have the power. So if you're just trying to subdue somebody because they're altered of alcohol, drugs, or you're waiting for the police to pick them up, or you're waiting to get them in a squad car, you know damn well you should not be hurting them to the point that you take their blood flow through their brain away or that you take oxygen away from them. You could kill a motherfucker. So the thing is that it's totally in your control to let the person know what's going on when you have them subdued. And believe me, this gentleman certainly did. So, I mean, all I'm saying out there and, and you know, we got to go on to other topics, but I would just at least like to remind the dozens out there that this is not... Uh, a figment of my imagination. Th this is this is not something that is never going to happen. It is going to happen sometime in your life, in your fifties or sixties. You're going to be at a coffee shop. You're going to be eating your lemon meringue pie. Something's going to pop off right down the way. A woman's going to be in trouble. A kid's going to get kicked. A dog's going to start getting smashed, and you're going to have to do something. I'm just saying the statistics are very high. And, and what really pisses me off is you, you sorry ass pussy motherfuckers who take out your cell phones and start filming. Why don't you just grab your cock instead, you jack motherfuckers? Because here's the deal. You could be helping. You could stand up and at least give some verbal altercation, something. But these motherfuckers that just film things instead of actually participating and, you know, subduing said emergency. What the fuck, dude? What the Again, fuck? Uh, I agree generally, but I will say situation and context does matter. Like, for example, the I believe it was a teenager, but who I know you're not referencing, but just for for context. Um, but it was a, a lady who had her cell phone out that filmed um, what was going on with George Floyd. If that video did not exist, that police officer would not have been convicted. There's there's no way that's a different thing. But I'm just saying because that is fresh in the mind of you know, America right now that, that, that distinction I think does need to be made. Um, but that's, you know, that's different from again, an elderly lady getting beaten up in the street of New York or, you know, some random dude trying to hassle restaurant employees in Kentucky or people choking to death or somebody or people choking to death. I mean, anything it's, it's, it's it, it drives me fucking nuts and it's done for pure. I don't get, you know, that's a nice thing that you threw out there. Cause it's true, but it's being, it's being done for entertainment's sake. Just to record Not always. Sometimes, yes. Yeah, most Not always, but sometimes. Most of the time. And so the thing is, to me, it's just really upsetting to me. I'm just letting the men out there know, women too, okay, children too, animals, dogs, cats, listeners of the dozens, please. 
if you don't train, you don't find some martial arts, you don't find something because, you know, pepper spray is not just readily available. You're certainly not going to get to carry your Glock everywhere. And a Glock shouldn't be used in most altercations, quite frankly. Don't know if the Americans out there know that. Please, just at least get your mind wrapped around the fact that some shit is going to pop off and you're going to be needed or you can just sit your ass down and just let the universe happen to you. It's your choice, I guess, but it is highly puzzling to me. Uh, Jason, where can the dozens let us know about their opinions or experiences on, on said topic? You can always reach us at this little known, sometimes working email address known as Ask Dave and Jason at Excite.com because, well, God damn it, self preservation is exciting. So let's go on to our next subject. Childhood is dead, Jason. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, yeah, I, I certainly do. Really? Yeah. Well, you know who is, you know who isn't dead? Steven Seagal. Oh, there you um, go. At least not yet. And, uh, <laughs> We'll, we'll just, the, whether the merits of that, we'll discuss uh, perhaps another time. But let's, uh, you wanted to do some talking about some Steven Seagal. I love me some Under Siege, so let's let's uh, talk the positives and the negatives about Steven Seagal. Jason, go ahead and start us off here, and then I will step in as needed. Absolutely. Well, here's, here's the situation. I wanted to talk about Steven Seagal for a while, and I, want, I almost want to call this segment in defense of Steven Seagal and Aikido. I know it's Aikido, but for my white bread, Miracle Whip, Caucasian tongue, Aikido rolls off much easier. So here we go, Aikido. Um, the first thing I want to say is Steven Seagal has become pretty much a complete fucking joke in our modern day culture here. But I do want to say this for pe particularly people my age, but if you're younger and want to know what all the fucking hubbub was about at some point in time, which propelled him into direct to streaming uh, fame, uh, his first five films that Steven Seagal did are not too fucking bad at all. And I, I really have to say that. Um, there is some corniness. There's a lot of corniness, actually. But at least you can see... This is where some of the mojo that carried him throughout our, you know, our, our, our culture came from. I want to just list them real quick so that our people out there can actually look this shit up somewhere uh, if there's physical media still available. In 1988, Steven Seagal did the film Above the Law. In Europe, it is known as Nico, which is the title of the title name of his character is Nico. Okay. In the in the U.S., they were very fond of three word titles. Oh, it gets, uh, for, it his gets opening, really for his opening for his opening films. It yeah, it's real crazy. They're almost <laughs> interchangeable. You can take them and just you know <laughs> move them around. Move them around. Okay. Play so some word salad. In 1990, he came out with two films. One is Hard to Kill. The other is Marked for Death. In 1991, he came out with Out for Justice. And in 1992, he scored big with Under Siege. Now, these first five films, I would really, really, truly, sincerely recommend the dozens watch. I would. Even the cheesy shit that is. I mean, like, you know, Hard to Kill is pretty fucking cheesy. However, you can start to see, well, this is where a lot of his following came from. I can tell though you. We, 
we don't want to confuse it with above the siege or marked for law or, or um, hard to law, hard, hard to death, hard. marked for siege. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. None of that. So you got to look up his first five films, which span from 1988 to 1992. And then after that, yeah, you can call it a motherfucking day. But those first five films, the classics that are the Steven Seagal films are pretty amazing for, for a couple things in particular. Um, first of all, uh, Out for Justice does contain maybe my favorite Steven Seagal scene of all time. It's the Where's Richie scene. This Where's Richie scene, in the film, he plays like a... I don't know if it's a Brooklyn cop. He's got a New York accent that he's trying to pull off. Yeah, oh, hey, no. fuck nuts. Where's Richie? You know that whole thing. He's doing the whole uh, Italian New Yorker uh, thing. This is a six to seven minute scene. I, I mean, a seven minute scene in a movie is a long scene, quite frankly. Okay. He goes in and it's the weirdest thing in the world because you know, we're supposed to be cheering for the hero. He is definitely the fucking bully in this goddamn scene. And he's supposed to be the hero. And it's like a Steven Seagal wet dream that has been filmed in this bar where he's looking for Richie, wherever the fuck Richie is, which he can't find, which is part of the reason he's, he's there. There are mafioso street thugs, Martial artist. I mean, it's like a video game. It's all the bad guys. And no one's really starting shit with him. He's starting shit with them. And then getting them riled up to where he can fuck them up with cue balls and cue sticks and his hands. And he's just... just it's amazing. This scene just is like, amazing. Just like you the other day at your restaurant, right, Jason? Whatever. But the thing is, there was no revolving doors in this scene. I'm going to keep <laughs> coming back. There should have been. I'm going to keep coming back, fuck nuts, until I find Richie. Where the fuck's Richie? And I am telling you, I would really recommend YouTubing this fucking scene because you're seeing a bully on steroids, man. And you, and everyone at the end of it, you're like, well, am I supposed to clap for this or not? Jason claps for this scene. But it is what it is. But it led to Under Siege and Andrew Davis, who directed both his first film, Above the Law, or Nico in Europe, uh, and Under Siege. He came back for Under Siege. And Andrew Davis had He did a very The Fugitive good, as well. He's he did, a good director. Well, he did. He's a great director. But what's funny about Under Siege is every person I meet that absolutely hates Steven Seagal, most of them are younger women that, you know, I've... Uh, been in the company with i'm like no you gotta you don't like steven's go like i fucking hate that well, that's fucking stupid i said you gotta watch under siege you have to watch under siege it's like when you pull out the taker versus michael's match for people who hate wrestling you're like you will like this film and they do after under siege is over everyone's like that was fucking great that was it's the best good, die hard that was because oh, you know that got pitched as die hard on a boat die hard on a boat but the, the reason it's so good is not just seagal's good davis is the director you got Tommy, Tommy, Lee, Tommy Jones Lee Jones, the villain. And you got Gary Busey. So there's a lot of really good shit happening around Seagal that makes him look so fucking awesome in it. Writing's tight. He's tight. And what's even funnier about this, I don't want to go off on another movie tangent here, like a trivia thing, but this was really the film that Andrew Davis, because he was already friends with Steven Seagal and decided to come back and do a big feature with him. This was the film where Andrew Davis and Tommy Lee Jones figured out how to work with each other to where you just let Tommy Lee Jones do shit and film it. And that translated into their next film, which was The Fugitive, which led Tommy Lee Jones to an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, which led to U.S. Marshals and, and all of that. But Andrew, well, Andrew US Davis... Marshals is yeah, not that much sucks to talk shit. About. But Andrew Davis knew how to film Tommy Lee Jones and The Fugitive 
based on his work with them with Under Siege. And you could totally see where this is coming from. At any rate, I have to say, in defense of Steven Seagal, there was a time where what he was selling, we were buying. And these first five films is when what his merchandise was at its most expensive. And it worked. It really worked. Now, we all know what fucking happened with Steven later on, but it is what it is. Now, I wanted you to comment on some of those movies first, Dave, before I, I parlay this into why the fuck this even came up in the first place, which is uh, obviously I could do. Well, Steve, I mean, Steven Seagal was already a controversial figure even at that point. He was always very big in the self-hyperbole. He had told all these stories about he, he had been like a consultant or an agent with the CIA and had done all of these. Now, he does have... It, he's like Hulk Hogan in a way where he has like legitimate um, accolades that he can be proud of and then he just can't help himself to just make up a whole bunch of bullshit that just prevents anyone from taking him seriously. Um, it is true, to my knowledge, that Steven Seagal is the first uh, American who opened an Aikido Dojo in Japan. I don't believe... Like, I know he did have an Aikido Dojo in Japan. I believe it is true that he is the first American to, to do so. Um, he is a legitimate... Uh, or at least used to be, you know, a keto practitioner, uh, legitimately talented in that way. Very charismatic guy. That charisma translated very well to, on screen. But even back then, he was a shit. And that kind of, you know, that's why Gene LaBelle legit choked him out on a set. I had Roddy verify that story for me when I first met him. Um, which is why, that's another reason why I kind of love that story even more. I forget if it, do you remember what movie that was? It was one of those five. It was Above the Law or, or Marked for Death or something. I forget which one, but yeah. Where, yeah, it was, uh, it was he, one where Gene was on the on the set at some point yeah. and Steven Seagal was like, well, you couldn't take me. And she's like, oh, yeah, I, I could. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it was one of those alpha male tough guy moments between two of well, them. Well, more, th more than that, it was actually Gene LaBelle doing what you said people don't really do now. Is because Seagal uh, was kind of, my understanding is that, you know, allegedly... He was uh, taking advantage of his stunt performers during some of these scenes. They were getting upset about it, and Gene was a, a stunt guy on it. Gene LaBelle is a legitimate badass, for any of you who don't know. Well, I, th I think then, that Gene was actually the head coordinator of, of the stuntmen. Might have been, yeah, might have yeah. been. But uh, so, so, so people, you know, they were complaining, and rightfully so, and Seagal said, well, you know, if any of you want to do something about it, you know, you're more than welcome to try, and Gene, was, Gene I think, was even, like, in his 40s or 50s at that point. He was just like, I'll take that bet. And... Uh, um, so, you know, Seagal thought he'd be able to handle him and Gene choked him out and Seagal woke up and said he wasn't ready yet. And Gene said, okay, no problem. Wait, wait, wait. Are you ready now? Yes. Did it again. Put him out and Seagal pissed himself while he was unconscious. And then, you know, the movie people got all freaked out or making everyone sign NDAs and Seagal has denied it ever happened. And people who are in the know have told me that it did. Um, but now, you know, that that's Seagal's, uh, and also in addition to him, you know, uh, allegedly making up all these stories about a CIA training and all this stuff that, uh, you know, people who knew him at the time are like, there's no truth to any of that whatsoever. He also has a long troubling history of violence against women and spouse abuse. So there were a lot of things to correctly knock Seagal on. But in doing so, you also shouldn't lose sight of, of, of a couple things. One, again, legitimate Aikido guy, 
not some sort of just made up fraud who didn't know what he was doing in that regard. And that does take a certain amount of, of discipline. I'm not saying he should be lauded for that, but it is a legitimate skill, talent, ability that he developed. Um, and then also the, you know, again, he was legit enough in Akito that he, he did open up a, a school in, in Japan for a while. And he is a, he was at least a charismatic screen presence, and that served him well in the early part of his career. Even some of his later movies, like The Glimmer Man, I thought was oddly entertaining. I would never say it was a good movie, but I had enjoyed watching it. Um, Stephen Tofolovsky, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that name horribly, but he's a great character actor. He was in Groundhog Day as well. He tells a hilarious story from having to work with Seagal and the Glimmer Man. I don't want to spoil it, so I'll just say Google that on YouTube. Uh, Stephen Tofolovsky talks about working with Stephen Seagal and the Glimmer Man, just, and just sit back for like six or seven minutes and just let your ears be massaged by Stephen Seagal fucking insanity. Uh, but yeah, Under Siege, great film by any metric. The sequel horrible never watch it it's on a train it sucks awful in every way but um you know i think it comes down to a guy who had some legitimate talent and had some legitimate charisma got way too big for his britches very very quickly and therefore he also very quickly flamed out and he also got lazy and then he fell out of shape and and you know and and now he's kind of the walking kind of joke with shoe polish on his head that he that he is today but um those first five films i when I say this, I don't mean this to say they're not good films, because I'm not, I'm not disputing that. But a lot of those early films are kind of interchangeable to me to where I get them mixed up. Not just in the titles, but also just like, you know, I, I do, I'm not as familiar with them. I've seen them, but it's been a long time. So I don't have a lot to add there that you haven't already extrapolated on outside of Under Siege. That's the one I really kind of know, you know, forwards and backwards. But, um, you know, again, he had a unique style in American cinema that had not really been seen prior to that, that I can think of and hasn't really been mimicked since then. Um, that really made him stand out. And that still translates today. If you put those films on now, the thing is with, I was getting ready to say that with Steven Seagal, he was almost the public consciousness or the, the public awareness of the martial art Aikido. They almost, oh, absolutely. They almost go, as 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 Batman is my witness, they're almost interchangeable. Like it's it's hard to uh, say this, but it's true. If you say Aikido, the, the person if there's a person my age who's a dude walking around, I, they're thinking Steven Seagal. That's who they're thinking in their mind. And I think as he has turned into a cultural icon joke, kind of like the Elvis, the fat Elvis version of martial artists. Um, Aikido got started to get pissed all over too. Um, I can tell you for a fact that Aikido is this martial art that now all everyone who's involved in MMA thinks is a piece of shit joke. It's a joke martial art. Um, it's in, mostly known for wrist, you, and you see it in his film style, but like wrist locks and kind of uh, joint manipulation and, and using using of the other person's leverage as a way of manipulating them or getting them down or disabling them. So you'll see in Seagal's films, he'll use a lot of wrist locks and, and kind of not small joint manipulation, not necessarily meaning the fingers, though that's very effective, but more, more the wrist is really yeah. kind of the wrist and the elbow. Right. So, I mean, I use that exact thing on this gentleman that I subdued. And the deal is that they teach Aikido and the Japanese law enforcement. They teach Chinese law enforcement. 
Taiwan law enforcement. And to me, everyone in America is like, yeah, fuck Aikido. That's a bullshit thing, Aikido. It, it reminds me of how we used to talk about, you know, Asians wearing masks every flu season. No, it's a real thing, motherfuckers. It's something that, no, you're not going to put someone who is a fifth degree Don or whatever Dan that they call in goddamn Aikido in a goddamn cage with somebody that knows Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's not meant for that. It's somehow in our public consciousness, MMA fucking dominated all martial arts to where unless you're able to defend yourself and win in a MMA mixed martial arts match, it's not a real thing. That's bullshit. Aikido is literally a something that can be used by women, children, men who don't like to fight, who literally just want to subdue somebody without hurting them anyway, or without striking. A lot of times it's literally what I did, which is joint manipulation against an unsuspecting opponent who didn't know that I even had the wherewithal to do such a thing. Okay. So Aikido has, in my, in my opinion, my very non-humble opinion, its place in the martial arts community. It's also one of the only martial arts that you don't have to combat another martial artist to test up on. I don't know if you know this or not. A lot of people don't want to join martial arts because they don't want to fucking spar. They just want the information. Now, I know people piss all over that. I like to spar. Okay, but I know a lot of people would like the information of a martial arts. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. Aikido, you don't have to do that. It is a very Jedi Knight type training of martial art and I, I think it has its place. And I just noticed growing up that as Steven Seagal got pissed on and his lies came to fruition and a lot of his embellishments, so did Aikido about the same time MMA was popping up. Like, well, you put an Aikido artist versus this guy. Aikido is going to get his ass kicked. Right. You're probably right because it wasn't fucking meant for that at all. Okay, and it's just very, very bizarre that the same motherfuckers that are putting Aikido down, I've never seen any of these people go against anyone who knows Aikido, because honestly, I think it would be a bad thing for a lot of people who like to talk. It's like what you said at the top of the program. There's so many wannabe badasses that really don't know what they're talking about because it comes down to the fighter. It comes down to the actual person who's fighting, not the knowledge that they think that they have from training you could be a fifth degree black belt taekwondo and if some gnarly motherfuckers coming at you what then is that is it gonna work or but really it comes down to you as a human being so what i would really like to say in defense of aikido is this is still a martial arts worth looking into if you're like i would really like to do something but i'm kind of intimidated by martial arts and i really don't want to hurt someone to the point i could get a lawsuit hey this motherfucker is right up your alley, even if you hate fucking Steven Seagal. And just a little bit of uh, history, what you were talking about. Steven Seagal did open up uh, a dojo of Aikido in Japan in the mid-70s, early mid-70s. He was married uh, to a woman whose dad was part of the Aikido affiliation, which helped him open that dojo. And then he moved to L.A. in North Hollywood and opened up his, his L.A. Uh, uh, Aikido uh, dojo, which led, you know, I think Mike Ovitz, Jeffrey Katzenberg, a lot of people yeah. to go there, which that's what got him into film. He started being a bodyguard, oddly enough, for Kelly LeBrock, which he later married right. and was in Star With. He, and he also trained Sean Connery for Never Say Never Again with flips, throws, holds, maneuvers like that. And yes, he did break Sean Connery's fucking wrist 
but I mean, he, this was before he became famous, famous. So, um, there is, there, it's like what you said. It's perfect. He is a martial arts Hulk Hogan. There are nuggets of truth to what he's saying that he's turned into superhuman feats that never occurred at all. But I just, I just want to say this because of the altercation I had with this person that, you know, it was slight pro wrestling, slight Aikido that took care of this problem. It wasn't Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It wasn't Taekwondo. It wasn't Western boxing. Sometimes you well, just need to know a few little things to get the job done. Well, a, a lot of times, though, there is overlap there. Like, mm -hmm. you know, some people listening to this would say, well, no, that was Brazilian jiu-jitsu because it's, uh, you know, the rear naked choke is a Brazilian yeah. jiu-jitsu hold. But it also is used in, you know, judo. It also is used, like it's the biomechanic, the, the philosophies of various martial arts styles. I, I look at it as like a lot of times they're like different languages. They have similar, a lot of times they have, they're based around similar structures or similar words or whatever. You know, it's just the, the philosophies might be a little bit different. But when it comes to fighting, the biomechanics of how a human body works are the same. So therefore, there is a lot of overlap between various martial arts styles in regards to some of their techniques or some of how they are taught or, or what have you. And, um, you know, like the, the rear choke is, is not, is not uh, exclusive to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. It's just, you know, I said it's used in judo. It's used in various various styles, but I, I wouldn't say it wasn't jujitsu either. It's just not how you learned it. Correct, correct. But uh, yeah, so I mean, that's that's really where I wanted to bring it is to for all the dozens out there, and I love you guys because I never in a million years when we started this thing thought that you you guys would look up shit we're talking about, and then it started to become very obvious because you contact us about this. Um, you know, we, we brought the last Boy Scout back just in, in happenstance a couple episodes again uh, back. So please check out the first five films of Steven Seagal. And really, honestly, I'm sincere. I'm the only advocate anymore. Everyone pisses all over it. If you're trying to get into a martial arts and just want a kinder, gentler, thousand points of light type situation, look into Aikido. Honestly, really do. It's also useful for knife defense if you have to defend against a knife. Obviously, it should not be your first uh, your first thought or foray. But if you got no other options, there are keto techniques that are useful for for disarms and stuff like that. Which is why someone always comes at Steven Seagal with a knife in all of those films. At some point or another, there will be a knife coming Steven Seagal's way. Uh, so, Jason, uh, last topic of the week was something we have talked about several weeks before. Uh, it has finally started occurring. The um, A&E Pro Wrestling documentaries, the first one has aired, i.e. on Stone Cold Steve Austin. I have not seen it. You have. What are your thoughts on that so that we can go home? Guys, I know that you were, a lot of people were extremely interested and actually have contacted me about how to get A&E streaming as if I work for the fucking service. Guys, I have no fucking clue. A few weeks ago, I looked into it to say, well, I definitely have to see this. So how do I do it? And A&E had codes and promos and you had to enter it and go on your cellular device. I was like, oh, get the fuck out of here. I'll just find somebody on daily motion. But last night I watched it. I went on the A&E streaming on, on Roku. You can get the channel. And for some odd reason, they didn't ask me for a code or fucking anything. And under the specials option, there it is. A Stone Cold Steve Austin biography. It's 80, 85 minutes long. Uh, fantastic. And here's what I'd like to say about it real quick, because we're probably going to be doing this a lot on different ones that come out. Is Roddy's is next week. Roddy's is Sunday, and I'm oh my god, oh my god, I'm so I'm so excited. I could cry. I mean, I'm so fucking excited. Um, here's here's the situation. 
A&E does a very fantastic job. And what's even really cool about it is they have different directors for each one of these biographies. And some of them are fantastic. People have worked on 30 for 30s. And I believe Paul Jay is involved in the Bret Hart one. A lot of good shit, folks, is going on out there. But um, I have seen every Stone Cold Steve Austin documentary there is. I'm sure Dave has too. I own most of them, okay? Um, I have seen better documentaries on Steve Austin's getting into the business, young life, getting to WWE, okay? I have. Uh, they've, they've done it before. On the Monday Night Wars, the Stone Cold Steve Austin episode is one of the finest documentaries that have been done on him, period, not just the war. Okay, so that was not that impressive. Once, they, once the documentary gets to the point where Steve Austin is in the WWE, fan fucking tastic fantastic for the first time in years and i mean fucking years personnel from the wwe are finally saying he saved our goddamn company steve austin saved our company we were going to go under until steve austin decided to become stone cold steve austin um they got vince mcmahon as someone that gets interviewed the rock is on there a lot speaking about steve austin and not himself wow who knew and it is really fantastic all the stuff in the wwe they talk about certain elements that they've never talked about before and the fact that um they don't go into specifics which i know dave was sort of thinking that they never would in the past if Steve Austin was going to be a participant in it, which he is. Um, but they do talk about his, there possibly being a drinking problem, which has never been brought up before his divorce is getting in the way of a lot of his, his problems that he was having outside were also affecting him inside. The fact that he has zero relationship with his daughters because by his own admission, he was extremely selfish and was for many, many years and lost his whole family, his wife, everything because of his selfishness. This has never been talked about by Steve Austin ever in his podcast. I, nothing. Am I, am I correct? And again, I'm not faulting this because again, when you have his involvement, I understand there's certain things that are probably a little touchier <clears throat> than others. Am I correct that there was not a mention of spouse abuse? Not one. Not one, okay. but he, he go, he goes on record many times. I mean, he, I mean, Steve Austin is tearing up in this thing, which is like unbelievable. Steve is a very private person, quite frankly. He, and, um, he talks about making very, very poor life decisions, which he had never done in, in previous stuff. And, uh, they, the last where he retires, they only give about eight to 10 minutes of, which is fine. But the stuff where he is in the WWE and that entire ride that he took from start to end, including his walkout and, and all the problems he had with the company, all of it is extremely covered. But it is nice to finally see people like Triple H saying, you know, he fucking took my place in Royal Rumble. He took my place in line and he deserved every single fucking bit. And he saved the company and he made us all this fucking money. And I mean, nobody... You know, you got Triple H, you got Mick Foley, you got the Undertakers on there, Mark Cowley. I mean, they're all just there. Everyone who was in the Attitude Era is talking about Steve Austin. 
and they're being fucking real. And that's just, it gives me goosebumps to think about it. And it was very nice to see Steve being real. He looks older than fuck in this thing. I mean, they, it's high def and it's him today. And he's just talking about his career. I mean, he's still got goddamn, you know, TRT fucking arms, but I mean, you know, you could tell he's, he's older. And just to see him talk about the history of himself in the WWE, which was, that's the heavy focus was absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend it. But because I've seen so many Steve Austin documentaries, I think that the I was not as surprised as a lot of you who are casual fans through our program will love, will, act, will absolutely take so much more away from this. Paul Heyman is heavily involved in the interviews. But I can tell you going forward that the Roddy Piper segment that includes his family participating and after his death and after his biography where a lot of kayfabe was put to bed, it might, it, honestly, it might be Roddy's last hurrah as far as this is it because, in my opinion, they're erasing Roddy. This could be his last, this is real Roddy stuff we're getting. At, at the end of the Austin one, did they show a promo or a commercial for like with any expanded footage of the Piper one or no? Yes, they did. You can go on, at, not at the end of the, the documentary I was watching, but you can go under the A&E uh, streaming app and you can go under the specials tab and it will show you about a minute to a minute and a half of an extended promo commercial for the upcoming documentary and you can see that his daughter and his wife are involved which i you know kitty and his daughter ariel are very uh protective of roddy's legacy and so i know for a fact that them being involved will be absolutely fantastic Cool. Sounds good. There's one thing I'll, I'll mention about Austin before we, we leave air here. I actually learned it uh, a couple weeks ago, and then I just forgot to bring it up to you. Um, I had no idea about this, and holy shit, like it's... So it's well known that Owen Hart didn't break Austin's neck, but badly injured his neck with the sit-down inverted tombstone and that they, he should never have done. By the way, not to uh, interrupt, they, they cover that shit inside, back, forward, I'm the whole I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. I did not know that Austin had fucked up the neck of Masahiro Chono in Japan with the exact same move several years earlier. Did you know that, Jason? I had heard that, yes. I had not until, um, you know, I've been watching these these old matches with Muda in Japan, and he teamed up with and went against Chono quite a bit during that time period. And I knew Chono had a neck injury that, that changed the trajectory of his career. I did not know it was Austin doing a sit-down tombstone pile driver. So Holy na- shit. So now, like, the plot thickens. Was Owen exacting some sort of revenge? <laughs> right. I guarantee you some people have come up with that conspiracy theory. But uh, I'll, I'll let the dozens marinate on that one themselves. But uh, anyway, I think that's our show for this week. Any final thoughts, uh, Mr. J? No, I just want to say, guys, thank you so much for making our last episode such a viral hit. We really appreciate all the listeners. And thank you for taking this journey with us. We really sincerely appreciate you, even with our witty banter and odd humor. Thank you very much. And on that note, I am Dave Beaudry. And I am still your Jason Bailey. Otherwise known as the Vanilla Godzilla. And we are one day closer to dead, but that day is not and will not be today, especially not when that Roddy Doc hasn't aired yet. And we will be here next week, folks. 